0: I love the word obfuscation. <laughs> for me, it's right up there with the, with the words soporific and paraginous. It's a good word at this time in American history when truth is at more of a premium than ever before, as in quit obfuscating the facts. Or for you parents... Your claim that you only went to your friend Braden's house last Saturday is little more than obfuscation. There's always the old, you sit on a throne of lies. (laughs) Obfuscation's a good word. It's also a good word to describe the teachings of Jesus, at least on one level. We get a veritable feast of parables today, don't we, in the reading from Mark. Everybody likes ice cream. Nobody likes it when someone is shoveling it spoonful after spoonful into their mouth. It's kind of hard to listen to all of these parables told one after the other after the other after the other like this. A parable, of course, is a story, but it's not just any story. Jesus' parables tend to be pithy. They're not not fables because there is no moral imperative. Sure, we can and we will sing pretty soon, Lord, let my heart be good soil, but that's not up to us, is it? That's a prayer to God. Lord, let my heart be good soil. Only God can do that. Parables are allegory to some degree, but Jesus doesn't make clear What each element of the story is supposed to represent. Even in the parable of the sower, the sower is just the sower. We make the leap ourselves, who the sower is, depending on which preacher you're hearing that day. They're more like riddles. They force the hearer to think about what the reign of God really looks like. They cover up the more obvious meaning, the meaning we want to put on God and God's kingdom and invite us to look deeper. They invite us to look closer. There is obfuscation not just in the parables, but in Jesus himself. Did you hear what Jesus said to his disciples after he tells the parable of the sower? I hope this disturbed you a little bit because it always disturbs me when I hear it. To you, he says, has been given the secret or maybe better, the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those outside everything comes in parables in order that they may indeed look but not perceive and may indeed listen but not understand so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. Jesus doesn't want people to be forgiven? Well, Jesus here is quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. So this part of Isaiah is the culmination of Isaiah's call. You know, there's a song that, and I'm sorry if this is one of your favorite hymns, but it's in, it, it, we hear it in the song, Here I am. That's based on Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. But they leave out the, the, uh, well, the verses before that. Isaiah says, here I am, send me. But I wonder, what would happen if they put verses 9 through 10 in that song, too? Say to these folks, you'll never understand. You'll look on, but never you'll see. Harden their hearts and minds and wills, lest they turn and be healed. Here I am, Lord. It doesn't, doesn't ring, does it? Just doesn't ring. I mean, it doesn't sound so sweet and nice anymore, does it? Well, God isn't sweet or nice or domesticated as much as we would like God to be. It's one of the constant struggles we've had in the church since the times of Marcion, who was a, tr- a, fig- a person in the fourth century who wanted, well, earlier than that, I believe, who wanted to cut out the entire Old Testament and most the New, because that God was so mean. There's that struggle there. We want to domesticate God and make Him into our image. We want Him, and I'm using the male pronoun deliberately here, because we usually think of God as a Him, to stay in His heaven until He's called upon until he's needed, until we need specific instructions, advice, or help, thank you very much. But God is not that kind of deity. God does not stay in God's heaven. God, rather, in a mystery beyond our understanding, becomes human in the man, Jesus. And in quoting these verses from Isaiah, Jesus, God hidden in human flesh, gives us our first insight about the realm of God. It can't be spoken of in a direct way. God's realm has to be spoken of rather in a way that is indirect, maybe even in a way that is under its opposite. It's a way that uses stories and symbols and motifs. It's like looking at a faint star. Some night when it's dark and clear and hopefully not 20 or 30 below, (laughs) go outside and look toward the north. Find the Big Dipper. The second star in the dipper's handle has a companion star, a fainter companion star just above it. If you look directly at it, chances are you won't be able to see it unless you have really, really good vision. But if you adjust your gaze and look to the side, you'll notice the companion star. It'll appear brighter. God's realm is like that when we try to perceive it directly in this world, we will not see it. We can see and hear and conjecture all we like, but we'll never, receive the, we'll never perceive the reality of God's kingdom if we try to approach it directly. So yeah, Jesus wants to obfuscate or darken our understanding in one sense. Because when we think we've got it all figured out, we'll go right back to placing God where we want God. We'll call you when we need you, God. That's not understanding at all. That's not healing. It's not true forgiveness. No, for Jesus to heal the world, to truly heal its sickness, Jesus teaches and lives in a way that the world would never expect. Jesus himself will have to suffer and die to heal the world. Jesus talks about this later in the gospel. When James and John are arguing about who is the greatest, Jesus takes that for a teaching moment. Good opportunity. He tells them, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must become slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Many would presumably include those who are outside, those who are outside. See the importance of reading Scripture with Scripture? Jesus' own life is a parable. God comes into our midst as one of us, as one like a careless, prodigal sower, scattering seed here and there. The worst farmer in the world, as I told my very agricultural first call in the hope that some of it will grow and yield an abundant harvest. God's realm comes to us like the seed, which when placed in the earth becomes something greater than we can possibly imagine, perhaps even like a mustard seed. Mustard tends to run wild when planted in a field. And God comes to us not as a great king or a lord, not as one who threatens to punish us for our sins, although we would deserve it, but as one who becomes humanity's servant. I want you to think about how offensive that is. That God should come to us as our servant, not as he comes as our Lord and as our judge, but he also comes as our servant. That is at, deeply at the heart of the offense of the gospel, that God should dare to transgress God's boundaries that human beings have laid out for God. It breaks our image we have of the imperial God in his heaven, all right with the world, who demands that we earn our way. Or our image of the nice, sweet God, who is there when we need him, and nothing else. Note: the true God is Neither really. God breaks all of our images and all of our language. God is neither imperious nor nice. God obfuscates those false images in Jesus. And Jesus breaks our understanding of what God's reign is really like in those parables. So that we can begin to learn about who God really is. And how God really saves. And how God really acts in the world. And in learning about all of these things about God, about who God really is, we, the servant of humanity, will learn about real greatness, about real salvation, about what it really means to be a child of God. Let us pray. Jesus, your entire life is a parable of God's love, healing, and forgiveness hidden in you help us to receive that love in the way you choose to give it not in the way that we would prefer amen